So today's episode, I am sharing my story. I used to have ulcers and stomach acid, acid reflux, really bad heartburn. I was on prescription medications, different ones, taking them up to six times a day. I'm sharing that whole process and how I was able to get off of them and heal naturally, but not just get off of the medications, but I have been off of those medications and have not had to ever go back on them, moving on almost seven years now. So I want to share this journey with you because I know a lot of you are where I used to be, and I want to give you help and just share everything on how I went through that. So that's what we're going to be diving into today. This is episode number 126 of the Pioneering Today podcast, and I am Melissa K. Norris, your host. This is where I teach and share how to raise, preserve, and cook your own food using old-fashioned wisdom and skill sets to create a self-sufficient and natural home, kitchen, and barnyard. So if you were anything like me, when you start talking about stomach acid The first thing recommended to you, or this may be a family member, you might have a family member that's suffering for that, is to take a medication for it. So it may be over-the-counter medication because a lot of the medications are available now over-the-counter. I think about four or five years ago, they made that switch where most of them used to be prescription and then they were made available over-the-counter, meaning you can just go and purchase them without a prescription. And I'm gonna get into more detail on the specific kinds and the different categories and what that means within this episode, but that's usually the first line of defense that people are given if they're suffering from any type of stomach acid. And if you've ever suffered from heartburn, stomach acid, acid reflux, it is really, really painful. And when it's really bad, it's not only painful, but it begins to impact multiple areas of your life. So today I'm gonna share that whole whole story with you guys in the hopes that it's going to bring you some help. Now, I do have to do this disclaimer. It's very important for you to know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not any type of professional medical personal. So this shouldn't be taken as medical diagnosis or a treatment plan for you. I'm really just sharing what worked for me. And I'm going to talk about this more in depth too. I keep saying that. But if you are on any medications or you have a health condition, you really need to discuss with your doctor and pharmacist before making any changes or discontinuing those medications. And I'm going to talk specifically about why in regards to stomach medications for controlling stomach acid further into the episode, okay? So just want to make sure, okie dokie, totally clear on that, okay? So my stomach acid story is I first had heartburn issues when I was pregnant with my first child, which is my son. And that's pretty normal. A lot of times with pregnancy, a lot of women deal with heartburn. After I gave birth to him, that heartburn went away. Hallelujah. Now with my second pregnancy, which is my daughter, the stomach acid started a lot earlier in the pregnancy and it was also a lot more intense. I first tried an H2 blocker. So H2 is a histamine blocker, and that is the way that the medication works within your body in order to reduce your stomach acid. And so the one that I use, the generic name is ranitidine. I used to be a pharmacy tech. Well, technically I still am, but I'm a full-time homesteading mama now. I always like to give kind of those those technical terms because that's what I'm used to, and you'll see that on the back of packaging. And that is over-the-counter. You can get ranitidine 
Zantac is the brand name, over the counter. They also have prescription strength, which is stronger. But it did not quell the symptoms. So it didn't get rid of the stomach acid with my second pregnancy. So then I was prescribed proton pump inhibitor. So for short, PPI. That's what Prilosec and Nexium, Omiprazole, those are, that is that classification. And acid medications is a proton pump inhibitor. So you've got a proton pump in your stomach, and those are the little pumps that pump out the stomach acid, which we do need some stomach acid. So we do have to have some stomach acid. But when we have too much stomach acid, that's how those the PPIs work, is they inhibit that proton pump from pumping out as much stomach acid. So that's the mechanism that those use. I thought with my daughter, just like with my son, that the symptoms would resolve themselves after I had her, but that was not the case. So by the time my daughter was close to a year old, the heartburn symptoms, the acid reflux that I had was so bad that I was in literally physical pain every day. Not just heartburn. I mean, there was that, like literally I could feel a scorching path all the way from my stomach up into my throat. So it was up into my esophagus. But I was also starting to get chest pain. Now, at that time, when I was having the symptoms and they were at their worst, I was in my late 20s. I wasn't overweight because if you're overweight, a lot of times that exasperates the symptoms and makes it worse. So I actually was at one of my lowest points of weight because eating was becoming such a a painful ordeal. I mean, any food, a, a banana, anything would just give me immediate heartburn. Didn't seem to matter what it was that I put into my stomach. I would just have uncontrollable heartburn. And so I wasn't even able to sleep at night. It was worse at night. We tried uh, where you lift. So we put some blocks, my husband put some wood blocks up at the head of our bed so that we were elevated a little bit to try to help and keep that acid down in the stomach and not traveling back up. It didn't really seem to help, maybe a little bit, but I was still waking up. In fact, I vividly remember the night before I went in to have my stomach done an endoscope on my stomach and my esophagus, I was standing at the fridge and I would try to drink a little bit of milk. I was just anything. I crying. I mean, it hurt so bad. I couldn't even sleep. It was life changing. I mean, you can't sleep and then you have more negative side effects from not getting enough sleep. So that's where I was at. I had been seeing my regular doctor and I was on the maximum dose with the symptoms were that bad. And I was on the maximum dose of the prescription strength proton pump inhibitors. So I was on the maximum dose and taking it twice a day. Then I was on another prescription that actually acts as a chemical band-aid. So it coats your stomach. But the caveat with that is you have to take it Hours before you eat, it has to be on an empty stomach. So you have to time your whole day around this. So before you eat or after you eat, by hours. So not only was I having to take some of this, so if you were eating three or four times a day, depending upon the meal, and then taking the proton pump inhibitor twice a day, between five and six times a day, I was having to try and time anything that I would try to eat around taking these medications. And I was still having the horrible symptoms. Wasn't quelling it at all. So my doctor referred me to a specialist, and the specialist ordered an endoscope of my stomach, which is where they put a camera down your throat, and they look at things to see what was going on. So during the procedure, and I was out for it, it was in the hospital, they took a biopsy of my upper stomach and my esophagus to test for cancer. Now, thankfully, those came back benign, meaning I did not have cancer, but what the scope and the testing and everything revealed was I had cellular change. 
So I had erosion, you know, I the acid was eating eating from the inside out. And when you have cellular change, you're at a greater risk for developing cancer. So I was not cancerous, but like I said, I was in my late 20s at this time and I was showing symptoms that I didn't have it yet, but if I was staying down this road, things were gonna get a lot worse. So I was sitting in the specialist's office as he's giving me the report back on everything that they found and discovered. He says, you've been on these medications much longer than we like to see anyone, and I want you to get off of them within the next four months. I'm like, yeah, doc, me too, but I can hardly function with them, and you want me to go without them now. Truthfully, my internal monologue was probably a little bit harsher than that, (laughs) but you get the gist of what I was thinking. So he handed me a sheet of foods to cut out and ways to manage it. He told me, he's like, well, you're not overweight, so normally we tell people to lose weight, but you don't have that, so your symptoms have to be controlled by diet because that's the only thing, the foods that you're eating. So he handed me this sheet of foods to cut out, and I stuffed it into my purse, and I was a little bit irritated, honestly, and I started the drive home. Now, we live way out in the boonies, and so I have at least a minimum of an hour drive from pretty much anywhere. I had a long drive to go, and and I'm glancing over on my way home, and there's this list sticking out from the top of my purse in the passenger seat. But it was on that drive that I realized I had a life-defining decision in front of me. I had two small kids and a husband at home, and if I wanted to be around for a long time and live a life without all of these issues, or at least that was my hope, that was my goal, I was going to have to do something differently. No pill was going to solve it. I had to figure out how to heal myself and not just mask the symptoms. And honestly, at that time, even the symptoms weren't being masked. The first steps that I did at that point I thought, honestly, at that point that I was eating a pretty good diet. So we don't eat out a lot, even less now, but we didn't eat out a lot then. So I wasn't like I was going through fast food, drive throughs and that type of food. I was cooking the majority of our food at home. I already canned a lot. We already had our own beef at that point. So we were already raising our own organic grass-fed beef. But even though I was cooking a lot and not really from box mixes. I mean, I at that point, sometimes I did still have some cake mixes in the house, but most of the things I was cooking from scratch. However, I started to really look at the foods and the ingredients in the foods if it wasn't just, obviously, flour. But we're gonna get into that because it's even the base ingredients that I was using and a lot of those ended up changing. This was the first steps that I cut out to heal, and that's what this episode is going to be about, part one. This was the very first things that I did, and it has evolved, but I want to take you from the very beginning because a lot of you are where I was, and so I want to give you these steps, and some of you may be further along in your journey, and so I still think that these steps are really important for us to look at, but I'm also going to have a part two, so just hang with me here. First thing I did was I immediately cut out all high fructose corn syrup, hydrogenated oils, and GMO crop or ingredients. So this naturally took away a lot of conventional convenience foods and some not so convenient foods. I will have to admit here, and I cringe to admit it now, I was a huge diet soda drinker. I immediately cut out all pop and I switched to water, cold turkey, I'm proud to say that I have never went back on, nor I ever do I intend to drink soda again. 
especially diet. But I thought, you know, it's calorie free. And I will be one to admit to you, I have always been conscientious of trying to stay what I considered healthy, but to stay, I don't want to use the word thin because that sounds so bad. But I drank diet soda because I didn't want the extra calories. I figured if I was going to have calories, then I wanted them to be from food that I was enjoying and not from what I was drinking. So that was why I drank diet soda back in the day. Next up, I cut out chocolate and coffee. Now, honestly, I prefer to drink these two things together because this girl loves a mocha, but I stopped them both. The first few days, (laughs) honestly, guys, back then, I would drink coffee in the morning. I would have a diet soda at in the afternoon, and then another diet soda usually in dinner time. I was lucky if I drank one glass of water a day, like super bad, but truth. So the first few days that I cut all of this stuff out, to say I had a caffeine withdrawal headache is putting it mildly. But in light of the pain that I had been in from my stomach, it was totally worth it. And the headache went away after a few days. But just putting that out there. I began using all organic grass-fed butter as a fat source. Unrefined coconut oil was the other fat source. And then olive oil or avocado oil for all of my cooking and baking. So no more canola oil, no vegetable oil, and most certainly no shortening. So those were things that I actually threw out and didn't even bother using up. Some things I used up and then just purchased a better, healthier alternative as I went, those were not some of them. I immediately tossed those out. The high fructose corn syrup, most of us, let's quite be honest, we're not going to the grocery store and buying high fructose corn syrup to use in our cooking, right? But if you're buying, it's in so many things that we don't even realize it's in. I mean, it can be in your spaghetti sauce, for heaven's sakes, your tomato sauce. There's so many things that they sneak it into that anything you're buying with the ingredient label, if it's not like obviously Salt is not going to have high fructose corn syrup in it. If you're buying a fresh tomato at the store, it doesn't have it in it. But anything with a package, ingredient-wise, you know, your peanut butter, if you're not already either making your own peanut butter or doing the ground at the store where they've gotten the health food section, you can just grind your own. It's just solid peanuts. Or you're not purposely buying peanut butter that's just straight peanuts. If you flip that over and look at it, a lot of times it's got sugar or and or high fructose corn syrup in it. So you really have to be an ingredient sleuth If you're not already and you go to your cupboards and you start looking at the ingredient label and seeing what all it's into, it's pretty shocking to see how much it's in. This also meant that I cut out anything that had soy in it. So a lot of things have soy or canola oil. Like I mentioned, for me, those are highly genetically modified crops. And soy can also be an endocrine disruptor because with estrogen hormones. So I just chose to cut out soy. There's a few things that if it's got organic soy in it every now and then I'm fine with, but I wanted to make sure that if it was not organic or certified non-GMO that I wasn't having it. So these are just the steps that I first took when we were cutting everything out. I wanna be clear, this is a process. Even to this day, it's still a process. So we already had a large garden, and like I said, we were already raising our own beef and eggs, but then we started raising our own meat chickens and our pork, Because with all the research that I'd done, I knew that I did not want the meat we were eating to come from animals that were fed GMO feeds and conventionally commercially raised. I wanted grass-fed and organic. 
I started grinding my own flour to retain all of the nutrients and health benefits of fresh ground flour. So even before I had been using just regular store-bought all-purpose flour. So I swapped that over to grinding our own fresh organic flour. And then I did buy a small bag of organic all-purpose flour, but it was organic to use in just certain recipes and to have on hand. Because like I said, it is a transition and I was super motivated because I was the one whose health was suffering, but my family, I had to make sure that these transitions for the foods for them, that they were on board with it too. So some things had to be a little bit more slowly transitioned because if you're used to baking just with regular all-purpose flour and then boom, you switch to all whole wheat, your family may not be on board as much. So I would use some of the organic all-purpose and some of the fresh ground on some things And then over time, it started increasing the ratio where it was more and more fresh ground and less and less all-purpose, but it kind of transitioned them into it. So that may be something that you need to do as well. Within the show notes, you guys, I have got links to everything that I'm talking about and additional resources because on back episodes of the podcast, I have a whole bunch where I go into a lot of these things in a lot more depth. Go to the show notes. You can go to melissakeynorris.com, click on that podcast button, and this is episode number 126. Okay, so how I got off the prescription medications. Stopping the prescriptions was really important to me and to my specialist, which to this day, I am thankful that the Lord put me in that specialist's office and that he was a doctor that said, you need to come off of these. Let's chat a few minutes about why being on and staying on proton pump inhibitors. And for the record, I am still aghast that these are now over the counter and they don't require a prescription. But (laughs) there's a lot of things I'm still aghast about that happens. Anyhow, but I want to talk about why staying on them, especially long term, might not be a good idea. And again, I'm not a medical professional, but the use of... PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, especially long-term, it has been linked to kidney disease, heart attacks, and increased risk of dementia. In the show notes, you guys, I have links to all of these sources where these studies were from because I'm one of those people, I wanna go and check out the study, I wanna see the source, I wanna see where things are coming from. I've linked to all of these for you where I pulled this information from and the studies, that's all in the show notes. I highly encourage you to go and check them out, including the sources and to further read on those studies, because I think it's so important that we do do our own research and read it for ourselves. Also, another report shows the adverse effects of PPIs with an increased risk of C. diff. So this is clostridium, I'm not even going to say it right. It's called C. diff for short, but it's a bacteria infection and it's associated with diarrhea and it's really, really bad one. Community-acquired pneumonia, community-acquired bone fractures, and an interference with mineral and vitamin absorption. So not only that, and that's quite a few, that's quite a list there already, but there was a study done in Hong Kong. I want to be really clear, though, about this study is that it doesn't prove that the use of proton pump inhibitors cause stomach cancer. What it was was an observation study. So that means they don't know that the PPIs were the cause of it or to blame, but that the people that they did this study on were all using proton pump inhibitors. So 
It was also for people who had the H. pylori or the infection, which a lot of people, this was a fairly recent discovery too. If you have the H. pylori, which a lot of times if you have a really bad heartburn or stomach acid, they'll do a test. And if you do have H. pylori, you'll go on a short-term treatment to kill that bacteria. And a lot of people's symptoms then are gone because it's caused from this bacteria. I was tested multiple times for this, and I did not have H. pylori. I never had H. pylori, never tested positive for it, and and never then went through the treatment for it because I didn't have it. But this specific study was for people who had the H. pylori infection, and then they were on the proton pump inhibitors for long term, so a long time. From this observation study, they showed more than double the risk for cancer. So I do want to take a minute and say that there are definitely short-term uses and certain medical conditions or diagnosis when the use of a proton pump inhibitor can be a very beneficial thing. So I don't want to villainize in it and I don't want anybody to be like, well, I'm on this and that's necessarily a bad thing because there are some instances where it is a good thing. I'm trying not to make a blanket statement or for you to immediately be like, oh man, I'm getting off of this, okay? It's something that you really need to give some thought to and it's gonna depend upon your specific situation and talking with your doctor and pharmacist, which is where I wanna discuss this in a little bit more detail here. You don't ever wanna stop taking a proton pump inhibitor cold turkey or any medication without talking to your doctor or pharmacist. One of the specific reasons, especially with the proton pump inhibitors, you can develop a condition that's called rebound acid production. Depending upon how long you've been on the medication, what your current dose is, I mean, there's a lot of factors. I had to come up with a plan, and my pharmacist, who was also my boss at the time, helped me figure out a safe taper program, and it was months of tapering off everything to avoid complications. So that's really why... I keep stressing that it's so important that you talk with your doctor and your pharmacist before you ever go off of anything because there's some things that need to be done taper-wise to be safe or other things that need to be taken into consideration. So for me, it was literally months and months of tapering. Then, of course, I had to get prescriptions from the doctor because in that taper, I had to go down in milligram strength. So it required different prescriptions. How long will it take to heal? As I stated above, it did take me months to taper off the medication, and it did take several weeks for my stomach to stop hurting once I was really serious about cutting out all of the above foods and beverages from my diet. One other thing I will say, too, is if you have to go in and have a scope and they ever do a biopsy, they didn't tell me this, but it's something in talking to other people that I've discovered, but when they took the biopsy, it hurt. In the areas that they took the biopsy, it hurt for a good four to five days. So I had the regular acid pain, but it was a different hurt. <laughs> it took a while for all, for that part to heal where the biopsy was from because they literally you know, rip out a, some of your skin, the inside tissue, in order to send it off for the biopsy. So the length of healing is going to vary for everybody. But I did start to feel immediate relief when I cut all of those things out at the same time. I cut out all chocolate and coffee 
And of course, I said diet soda, so no carbonated drinks for me. I just went straight to water. I didn't try using lemon water or flavored water. I just went to straight cold water. After a few months, it was about two to three months, I was able to bring back in cold brewed coffee. So cold brewed coffee is a little bit different beast, and you've probably heard me talk about this on some different podcast episodes, but for any new listeners, we'll just do a quick recap. Cold brewed coffee is made with coffee grounds and cold water. You start with cold water, you pour the cold water over the coffee grounds, you let it sit for 12 to 18 hours, and then you strain it, and then you take that cold brew concentrate and you keep it in the fridge for up to two weeks. You can then heat it and have it as hot coffee or as iced drinks. But because it's made with cold water from the get-go, it has 67% less acid than hot brewed coffee. And it's commonly referred to as toddy. There's a toddy maker, which is the system I've had. I've had it for, oh goodness, seven or eight years now. It's still going strong. And so all of that I will link to in the show notes and you can check that out further for yourself if that's something you're interested in. I was able to have chocolate again But it was now organic and it was dark chocolate because I was still having to do, right, those ingredients. I was not using those other ingredients, not going back. It had a lot less sugar content because it was dark chocolate. One chocolate brand that I found that I really enjoy that doesn't use soy is Theo brand. And nope, I'm not sponsored by them in any way, shape, or form. I've got to go down to see their plant in Seattle. I'm in the Pacific Northwest, so Seattle's about two hours from me. Really cool. You get to do a tour and they walk you through exactly how they make it, where they source their chocolate from. It's pretty, it was pretty amazing. So if you're ever in Seattle and you want to do something kind of fun and touristy, totally was worth it. It was so much fun to go to the factory. But those were the first major changes that I made. If you're interested in learning more about how our stomach affects our overall health, gut healing protocols, including leaky gut, and we're going to get into more of this in part two, but I wanted to give you the setup and the whole scope and picture of how all of it started for me, then you're going to want to check out in the resource section. I have linked to some resources for you on gut health that can take it even further if you want to dive into that as well. These were the steps I initially took. And I outlined a lot of these in my book, The Made From Scratch Life, Simple Ways to Create a Natural Home, in more detail and more depth. These are the four steps that I took to heal my stomach naturally, and I would recommend that you start with. One, evaluate your diet, keep track of what you're eating, and not just evaluating your diet, but how do you feel after eating certain foods? Now, this is gonna depend on how bad your stomach acid is because as I shared, in the beginning when mine was really, really bad, it didn't matter what I ate, it hurt all the time. So that's why I really had to cut a lot of things out at once. I'm gonna talk about that to give my body time to heal. Some of the things though to track is keep track of what you're eating, what the foods are that you're eating, And notice how you feel after eating them. Do you feel an increase in pain or stomach acid after eating or drinking certain foods? As I shared, cringeworthy enough, I used to have a diet soda every afternoon. And within a half hour, I would have a physical ache in my stomach. So not just an increase in stomach acid, but a physical ache. So it really helps to document what you're eating. And when you feel 
any changes or notice anything in how you feel. So you can start to pinpoint, is it always after eating something or drinking something specific? Or is it just a certain time of day? Like, what's the pattern here? So you can see any patterns and what might be triggering them. Then step number two, cut out your common trigger foods. For some people, this is going to be coffee. And I shared coffee was one of mine. Uh, But after I had had a healing time, I was able to bring some things back. So chocolate is one, soda is one, high sugar foods, acidic foods, tomato-based products. Now, this is an interesting one for me, though. Tomato-based products never have bothered me. So I can make spaghetti and chili and all of those with my home canned tomato sauce, which doesn't have anything in it except tomatoes and water and a little bit of sea salt. But tomato-based products don't bother me, and they never really did. I never noticed any increase in after my stomach, like even now, those don't bother me. But they do bother some people, so it's really going to depend upon you. Some other common trigger foods, of course, too, are spicy foods. That one is for me. If I eat something that's really spicy, that one even now, if I eat something a little bit too spicy, I'll get maybe a little bit of heartburn afterwards, and I kind of know, okay, that probably wasn't one something I should do. Luckily for me, I don't really like spicy food that much. I don't like a lot of heat. I like things a little bit more mild on the heat spectrum. So not a big one for me to be cutting out spicy foods, but it is one. Step number three, give your body a healing time. So when you first change your diet, just doing it for a week or two is probably not going to be enough. You're going to want to stick to it for long term to really give your system a time to heal and your gut and reset. This might be just a couple of weeks for some people. It might be months for others, or it could be even longer. Look at each food you're eating and ask yourself, and I still do this today, you guys, is this bringing true nourishment and healing to my body? Let's be real here for a sec. I kind of still live by the 80-20 rule. There are still times when I will eat something that I know is not really good for me, but it just tastes good. But I try to make sure that that is not the majority of the time. And I still want my food to taste good. I don't care what it is that I'm eating. I might be eating healthy, but I want it to taste good. But I'm saying give yourself a little bit of grace here. But if you're really in that healing period, remind yourself of that and really look and evaluate that food. Now, this is the next step. Step number four, slowly reintroduce foods one at a time. So after you feel like your body is healed, and for me, that was when I had was off all of the medications and I wasn't having any breakthrough or rebound symptoms and I hadn't for weeks on end. That was for me when I thought, okay, I'm gonna see about bringing coffee back in, but I had learned about the cold brew coffee, so it was a healthier version for me So I decided to see, I'm going to see what happens if I bring this back in and how I feel. But only bring back one at a time and document how you feel after eating it again. And a lot of times people will say when you're bringing a food back in and you're testing to see if you have a reaction to it is don't just bring it back in once. So say you bring it back in on Monday and you feel great all the rest of day of Monday. And so you're like, okay, cool. I'm good with this food. Tomorrow's Tuesday, I'm going to try reintroducing something else back. Most of the the wisdom or the advice out there is to try that same food several times in a row to see if you have a reaction before introducing something else. So for example, say it's Monday and I try my cold brew coffee and I'm like, woo, sweet, things are good. 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, still just have that cold brew coffee for that whole week to make sure that I don't have a reaction from it. And then the next week, bring in a secondary item to test and see if I have any issue with that. At least that's how I did it, just so that I could totally make sure and know for sure what my trigger foods are and what they aren't, and that there was plenty of time in there for me to kind of test it. I mean, you're basically being a, a guinea pig with yourself to find out what works for you and what doesn't because we're all different. All of our systems are different. Like I said, tomato-based products, I have no problem, but there's other people that the tomato-based products really bother and are a flare-up and a trigger for them. A lot of you emailed in and shared some of your natural acid-reducing tips with me and gave me permission to share them in the blog post, and I'm gonna share them on the podcast as well. I wanna be super-duper clear I have not tried all of these myself. These were sent in from readers and again, shouldn't be taken as medical advice. One of these, and this seems so practical, you guys, right? But sometimes it's those practical things that we actually overlook or we don't take into consideration as much as we should. So this first tip is to reduce stress. So this is one reader's story. And she said a few years ago, she went to the doctor for issues with her stomach indigestion and a spot in her stomach that burned constantly. And he asked if she was under stress. At the time, she was a single mom, wasn't have little to no support from her child's father and a full-time job. So yes, she was under stress. He prescribed to her a proton pump inhibitor and she started taking it and it did help her stomach aches, but she didn't like being on the medication. So one Sunday in church, she was listening to a message on worry and at that moment, decided to give her worry to God. And she says it was a process. It didn't happen overnight, but eventually she was able to stop taking the medications and she can honestly say she doesn't worry near as much as she once did. She wanted to share that was her experience with stomach issues and how she was able to overcome them. Anytime she feels overstressed, she just remembers that God is taking care of her. For me as a Christian, that's a really good one too. I definitely feel that God put certain resources and that specialist and different people in my life to help me down that path. This was shared by another reader, and it's a tip of using a shot of apple cider vinegar. This reader was also put on a proton pump inhibitor and continued taking for many, many years, so long term. One day they read that the FDA approved proton pump inhibitor they were on was only approved for up to three weeks of daily use. The doctor had never mentioned that to them and they didn't do any due diligence either. So they say I have to bear most of the blame for that. But nevertheless, they were determined to stop taking that prescription, even if it meant resuming daily Tums and Rolaids routine. At the same time, a friend had been urging them to drink apple cider vinegar, so they decided to give that a try before going back on any type of antacids. One caveat here, this is a natural remedy that I've seen passed around a lot, and I do love my raw organic apple cider vinegar. So that's important because not apple cider vinegars are created equal, so the raw has the fermented probiotics nature in there, uh, has the mother in in there. That's what you want. And apples are a highly pesticide crop. So organic and again, the raw so that it actually has all those health properties in it. However, it is acidic, right? And so if you decide to drink apple cider vinegar, it needs to be diluted in something. Don't take a shot of it straight. Okay. So this reader was quite surprised and a bit amazed 
and considerably delighted to discover that it worked. Didn't take as long as he expected to get used to the taste, but his reflux and heartburn became a thing of the past. He says now he seldom has to drink it and rarely needs anything to calm his stomach acid. Incidentally, he had read that roughly 40% of adults with heartburn actually suffer from too little acid and not too much. So that he feels that explains why the vinegar helped him. This is from another reader and said digestive enzymes, whole foods, and watching for trigger foods has really helped her. So she said stomach acid issues are something I have just about overcome by taking enzymes eating whole foods, and watching for trigger foods. Holistic living and eating has helped enormously in my journey, that and stress reduction. So hers is kind of a combination of some of them. So I just wanted to share other people's experience. And definitely food was the key for me and stress reduce. But food is where I started. And then looking at all of the different things that we were using in our home. So making my own homemade cleaners, making my own soaps, cutting out parabens. I mean, basically what you would expect in a modern homestead or an old-fashioned home of old where we don't have all of the commercially processed things and we're getting the food and the things that we're using in their close to natural state as possible. And that's why we grow so much of our own food as well. And we eat a lot more whole foods. So I'm eating a lot more whole vegetables and fruits and meat with them and grinding my own flour. More of the whole farm to table experience definitely has played a part in it. But even within that, there are still certain foods that I have to be careful with. And I'm going to share about that in part two, which will be episode number 127. It's taking even further what I've learned over the course of the years, how I'm continuing my gut healing and health. I really do believe it's a lifelong process, but I'm going to specifically talk about thyroid and hormone levels and the connection with our foods and our stomach and all of those those levels and gut healing and all of that even further, and that'll be in part two. But I want to share... If you haven't listened to episode number 124, which is how to plan out your harvest and garden for your best gardening year ever, you definitely want to go and listen to that episode and grab those free printable sheets in order to plan it out because having those whole foods and those whole vegetables and fruits that you've been able to grow yourself is such a big and important part of my healing and my homestead journey and eating those whole foods, being able to afford them and having in our home year round. I wanna make sure that you go and you listen to that episode and grab them so that you can use that as a tool and a step on your healing journey too. Now for our verse of the week. If you're listening to this at the time it was recorded, you know that in 2018, I am working my way through reading my Bible. So you're going to get that too. I'm going to take you through some of the spots each week that kind of stand out to me and that I want to share with you guys. So we're still in Genesis and we are in Genesis chapter 19, verse 26. This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah where God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's family was told not to look back as they were fleeing from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah from the fire and brimstone. So verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Pretty short and concise verse, right? But 
what really struck me about the whole story, so if you haven't read it in a while or you're not familiar with it, go back and read read the whole story. But the lesson that I got from that is to not look back. Now, I think it's important as I'm sharing this journey with you, I think it's important that we look back in reference to how far we've come and the wonderful things the Lord has done, how he's delivered us. But it's important that we don't look back at something that was harmful to us. So it could be a memory, it could be a situation, whatever that might be, but that we don't get fixated on looking back at things in our past with regret, that we keep our eyes forward on what God is doing now. What is he doing now in our life? And what is he going to be doing in the future? Because that's way more exciting because it's a lot more healthy for us if we focus on the good things that God is doing and that we have the faith and the trust that he's going to continue to do good things for us in the here and now and in the future because the past is the past and it doesn't do us any good to stay there and to look back at it other than just for a moment if it's upon reflection. I want to thank you so much for joining me and I can't wait to come back with you next week on episode number 127 and share with you part two and just a little bit of a teaser. It's also going to include what I'm doing now and the discoveries that I have made with the keto diet. So there's just a little bit of a teaser. So I look forward to being back with you here next time. Bye for now.